When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Could Portland have played any better in Game 2? What did the Warriors do to turn things around? Will Kevin Durant want to stay now? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown live show slash podcast slash hanging out with Jared for 20 minutes after an amazing game. Uh, we just had Game 2, Portland Trailblazers were visiting the Golden State Warriors, went down to the wire, uh, it was all over the place with a incredible, probably the most perfect played first half the, the Blazers could have hoped for, and then the most perfect third quarter played by the Warriors. So, instant reaction right now from you, Jared Weiss. It's the guard battle we were hoping for, right? I mean, CJ goes off in the first half mm-hmm. we obviously you know this game is dominated by a curry it was really good for seth to really you know, establish himself here um but then the third quarter the way that stephan clay either flying down in transition or kind of like curling straight up on like zipper cuts to get to, towards the top of the key hit threes it's like they were just kind of trying to invert portland's defense on every single play i mean they were at that kind of classic warriors breakneck speed where you're trying to figure out where the ball is and it's already in the air by the time you find it so i mean this this was it was it was probably a perfect game i would say especially with the way things ended there uh i agree i feel like we got a little bit of everything and it's unfortunate that i feel like terry Stotts is still trying to screw around his lineups or not quite figure out who we should play who we should not play um Briefly, though, in the beginning, I had a couple of ideas here from the first half. Um, you know, they even caught, they put Myers Leonard in, right? He hadn't really played at all uh, in the series, and I don't think he played even in the, in the last series that much. And um, he drops on a Steph Curry pick and roll, <laughs> and Curry just pulls up and hits a three. Instant timeout from Stotts, earful, and, you know, and it's just weird because in the conference finals, you can't waste a possession, right? Uh, but it didn't hinder them that much in the first half. They were able to build that 17-point lead. Uh, and what was interesting was Damian Lillard did not score at all for almost the entire first half. And they had a nice, like, nine-point lead, right, around their nine, ten points. And then all of a sudden, Damian just detonates over the last, like, three or four minutes of the second quarter. And there was nothing that the uh, Warriors could do. Uh, got that up to 17. So that was exciting. What do you think happened in the third quarter? I have some ideas, but what do you think happened in the third quarter that got the Warriors back into the game? Well, I mean, they just came down in transition and had, what, four threes between Steph and Clay just off of that action. A couple, like I was saying before, where the zipper cuts up the middle where Portland is trying to figure out how they're trying to chase these guys around or how they want to switch it. And Golden State's like, fine, we're just going to run straight through you and and get the wide-open shot. And then Looney, uh, Looney and Jordan Bell, they're just getting production out of the center spot, whether it's Looney's rebounding, which has been really good in the playoffs so far, and then Jordan Bell climbing out of the doghouse to get a few big uh, buckets there. What do you have, like eight points in the third quarter or whatever it was? Oh, so, and we have to point out that Jonas Jerebko had, I think it was the first half, though, 
He had a behind-the-back pass along from the baseline, turned like facing the the half-court line to Jordan Bell, who then hits a kind of a hard, weird mid, you know, floater jump shot from about nine or eight feet. Uh, so really amazing pass there, and Jordan Bell hit the shot to give him the assist. So good for him. So keep going. Sure. I mean, well, I mean, you know, Steph had 37 in this game. Like, you're not going to win if Steph has more than 29, usually. Um, I think that was Jared Dudley's scouting report uh, when he talked to Ethan Strauss on The Athletic, plug for The Athletic. Uh, so, you know, it, you're, it's really hard to beat the Blazers or beat the Warriors if that's going to happen. Um, but, I mean, you were really complaining as we were watching live at the end there about the way that Stotts was figuring out the lineup where they had to have they have to have a big that can be somewhat competent defensively out there at the end and i mean i'm looking at trying to figure out if there was a foul trouble issue here i mean nobody well, was in yeah. foul trouble no, no, zach collins, collins so like that's why i called yeah zach yeah. collins was collins, you know, yeah. eight minutes yeah he, he, he was uh you know sometimes you come into a game and you're so intent on making an impact and playing as hard as you can and doing everything they want you to do and you end up, you're a little bit off balance. You're a little bit too hard. You're trying almost too hard. And that's what it looked like. Uh, the, the third or fourth foul, yeah, he just kind of jumped and he was just drifting too much and collision in the air. They had to call it. Um, and it was really frustrating because they need him. Um, and, and without him uh, offensively, I think that's what we saw in the third quarter. So the answer to the, my question earlier about what the Warriors did, I thought was defensively, they started trapping every pick and roll. And the, the Blazers had no answer for that. And it was about eight or nine minutes where maybe a little bit less than eight minutes, but about seven minutes where they made the Blazers look like a high school or a college team. Even Damian Lillard couldn't handle it. He was falling down on the ground. He was turning the ball over and then they were getting right back down. All of a sudden there's clay, you know, wide open on a, for a triple on the wing. So we haven't seen the Warriors do that. And I can't remember the last time I saw them just smother a team like that for that long and that sustained. So the, what the, the, the Blazers lament in my mind was they didn't have any kind of like high post action to go to to relieve that pressure. Uh, I suppose Nurkic is that guy if they have him. Um, and, you know, nobody else could do that. Now, now Collins could do that, but they had to bench him because of the foul trouble. And uh, they, they really couldn't adjust. They finally did in the fourth quarter. A, the energy just dissipates. You can't keep that up for a whole half. But they instead of running pick and roll, I noticed that the Blazers were kind of doing a pass and then follow it back for the handoff, like a pinch post action around the perimeter. That seemed to help them deal more with that pressure. And uh, they were able to get the game under control a little bit. But uh, just a lot of stuff happening. Rodney Hood doesn't get in for that whole fourth quarter until the very last possession or two. And I, I don't know why he went with Devin Turner. What, any thoughts? Guy, you covered everything pretty much. Um, <laughs> th- I, I was thinking defensive matchup, just that Turner can handle himself in the post somewhat. I mean, he did a decent job against Denver, so it gives you a little bit more defensive versatility because Golden State was getting a lot of really good high-low action. They were right at, kind of in crunch time. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if it was Dre or Iggy that had – one where it was just kind of like it wasn't even that pick and roll at the end there, but it was a little bit earlier where I think Dre was able to pass it to Iggy, who was down low, who was able to finish. And Looney, I think, had one as well. So being able just to have guys that can body up Dre, whether it's a high post or be able to compete on the rebounds, I think that's probably what he was going for. Um, you know, because I don't think offense was really the issue. I think their issue was they needed to get a stop on Golden State. They couldn't get it. And then, of course, obviously, Golden State gets a stop at the very end with Iguodala taking the ball from Lillard. And I do want to see a replay of them, see if actually if I can find one now, because yeah. a couple of people are saying that he mugged them. But right. Well, we, we have Carter uh, Stroll in 15 was asking, was Iguodala following? 
Ronnie Damien before he ripped him. I don't think so. He had an arm bar, so it was a bent arm on his waist, and then he, the strip looked clean. I, I need a better angle of that one. I think it was a right-hand strip that he got clean. Um, but the arm bar, you know, at that situation, the referees are going to let him play. Uh, it's unfortunate that he kind of wandered. That was the thing that Damien was, wasn't doing well, I think, in this game was he was wandering too close to the half court at times where now when they put pressure on you, you got a very small window. I think they did it with CJ. He stepped, out, he stepped in the backcourt and they missed it. So now you don't have that much room. And then he wandered like, you know, really close to the sideline, which is another defender. So it looked clean to me, especially in the context of like the last possession uh, where you'd usually want to kind of ISO out top around more centered so you have more room to maneuver. So... Just one of those things. Um, I wouldn't look to that as much. I mean, there were some curious calls throughout the game. But um, here's, here's the point I wanted to make, and somebody was kind of being dumb on Twitter, and I, I called them out a little bit. When I said that the, the, the Blazers have to outscore the, 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 the uh, Warriors, and what I mean by that is that they need to do this on the offensive end. They need to be scoring as efficiently and as often as possible. One, because their defense simply isn't good enough to like, have enough of an effect on the Warriors. And then B, whenever they score, it stops the Warriors from fast-breaking. And so those two things are huge for them. So they're going to have to really be focused on having their best offensive teams out there more, than, more often than not. That's sort of why I was wondering. You know, Rodney Hood gives you good defense as much as Evan Turner does, and he's much taller and longer. So um, I was confused by that because, you know, he can also shoot, which Evan Turner really can't. Um, so I was confused by that. I know, I know Turner – or I'm sorry, I know that um, – Rodney Hood went to the locker room unexpectedly in the third quarter or something like that, and uh, when they probably would have put him in after the first timeout, when the uh, Warriors scored like I don't know ten in a row, whatever that was first, and um, I don't know what was going on there. He did go get back in the game. I think he even hit a shot or two. So, uh, some real interesting questions they're going to have to ask Coach Stotts again about his coaching, I suppose, and let's see how he responds. Sure, uh, I disagree on the defensive dichotomy there. Uh, I think Turner's definitely a better defender than Hood. Hood, uh, I, I don't think I've ever seen Hood play defense before. Anyway, uh, but I, I'm, I'm a, I think, I think Turner's a, a just above average defender to plus defender, depending on the role oh, he's in. I know but, what this is. I know what this is. This is Celtics bias coming in, isn't it? No, no, definitely not that. <laughs> All right, because he wasn't that good of a defender with this. He was okay, I guess. Uh, although I do have it, there is an Evan Turner bias, so there's that. But I, but they were using him in the Denver series. His defense on Millsap was like allowed them to stay. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't say stretch because he can't shoot the ball, but allow them to stay small. Um, but uh, you look pretty miserable hearing this one, so I'm not going to keep rolling with it. But <laughs> I did. I I rewatched um with the the side angle of the uh, of Andre stripping Dame. Yeah. Oh Abs- yeah. It was. Absolutely not a foul. It's okay. uh, like it's not even it's not even close. So Iggy has like one hand like down by Dame's hip, which is legal. And then Dame uses his arm to push off on Iggy's shoulder. Iggy doesn't really push back, but uses his other. Dame kind of like loses the ball when he does that. And Iggy kind of keeps poking at it. And then Dame grabs him and tries to go up and Iggy cleanly strips him. So right. just as always, perfect defense by Andre Godala on the last play of the game. It's why the guy might end up being a Hall of Famer. He's just he's yeah. one of the great defenders of his generation. Yeah, and by the way, didn't even make a play all game. Was sort of out of it playing, uh, guarding Aminu on the weak side a lot of the time and letting everyone else make plays. And then right when they need him, uh, they make it. And you know what's cool, though, is when you, you by being able to listen to you and, and your take on that, being having seen that replay, I, I, got, I just got a little smarter. 
And that's actually what Audible does for you too, because when you listen, you can get a lot smarter listening to their books that they have that you can order from their app. You know what I'm talking about, Jared? Oh, I know. I know. And so there's no better place to start listening than Audible. Audible members now get more than ever before. You can choose three titles every month and one audiobook plus two original Audible originals that you can't hear anywhere else. So, Jared, you should share a book from your library with anyone, and if it's their first time accepting a book through this feature, they get to listen to it for free. So can you imagine being able to share a book like that and give somebody you love uh, you know, the, the gift of, of knowledge? If only I loved somebody. Well, you, you can, I'm sure there's somebody out there for you. So uh, don't forget that it's Audible also offers free and easy audiobook exchanges, credits you can roll over for a year, and a library that will keep you forever, that you can keep forever even if you cancel, which is amazing because that would be, I would, I would be lament having bought that stuff and then not being able to get it, for it, get it back. Now, how about this? You can listen across a whole bunch of different devices like Kindle and Echo, and you never lose your place because I know that's what I do. I'm always on my phone, then I'm on a tablet, then I'm on my computer. That's amazing. And if you can, you can start listening with a 30-day Audible trial, and your first audiobook plus two Audible originals are free. So visit audible.com slash bballbreakdown or text bballbreakdown to 500-500. I'm almost finishing listening, almost finished listening to Trevor Noah's Born a Crime. And uh, I'm listening to it with Trevor Noah himself doing the, uh, reading the book. And it's incredible. It's hilarious. It's also touching. It's real. And it gave me a whole other level of, appreciate, of appreciation for Trevor Noah and The Daily Show. So don't forget, start listening with the 30-day Audible trial. And your first audiobook plus two Audible originals are free. Go to audible.com slash bballbreakdown or text bballbreakdown to 500-500 and get Audible. Right, Jared? That's right. You know what? Uh, it's funny you said that you re- read the Trevor Noah book or listened to it because I've listened to Tina Fey's Bossy Pants on Audible like three times now. Oh. Um, it's one of my favorite books I've ever read. And I pretty much only read either basketball books or Bob Woodward presidential books. And so Ooh. it was a nice break to get to read something like that. And uh, Bossy Pants by Tina Fey is absolutely amazing. Wow. Well, that's great. You know, uh, yeah, the, the Mother Report, I'm going to have to get on Audible. I'm gonna, I want to hear Bob Mother actually read it if you can do that. <laughs> so, um, but that's that's great to know. I, was it Tina Fey herself reading it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, she's cool. great. Yeah, you know, you know, did you know that Tina Fey was an improv coach of mine when I was doing improv in Chicago? No way. Yeah. I oh, went my way. God. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I, I remember I used to see her and, you know, she was great then. She became Second City, you know, main stage and then she was an SNL writer. So anyway, I knew her a little bit way back when. She probably doesn't remember me, but uh, maybe I'll run into her at some point in L.A. Um, why, am I not, why am I not at all shocked that you did improv in Chicago? Uh, yeah, I was there. I was ground zero for a lot of that stuff. I was just behind guys like Dave Keckner and, uh, oh, and Tina Fey and, and Amy Poehler. All those people were there. Um, so were you that at was the really... ETC? I was at Improv were you Olympic. Were at the ETC in Second City? Or... Improv Olympic, oh, okay. which is sort of the other version of uh, Second City, but better. Yeah, I know that place. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, <laughs> I don't know about that, but yeah. Well, it's different, but it's, it might be, I don't know. I always felt it's more valuable. But nonetheless, we, we can talk about that at some point uh, in the offseason, maybe. But we have a, a good question here. Tight. Typo asks, what is Durant thinking watching his team dominate without him, help or hurt his chances of staying? Well, listen, I didn't see a domination tonight, I suppose the third quarter, but um, I don't think it helps or hurts because I think he's gone anyway, right, Jared? Yeah, well, I think if he's seen them win without him, it makes him feel better about leaving, I guess, like that he's not screwing over the franchise, so you can make that argument. They did dominate tonight. They won by three. I mean, like it was a really tight game. Um, so they are they're 
still really good without him. And uh, I think are still going to win the title, even if he doesn't come back. But mm-hmm. I guess the counter to that could be that he sees someone without him. And he's like, you know what? I want to get one more with these guys. So I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think him being out for the finals is going to have that big of an impact on his decision. Anyway, I feel like he's won his titles. He had a great season this year. If he's ready to go to New York, whichever New York team is going to be, then I think he's ready. So remind me, they're going to evaluate him next week to see, but he's not. If even if they give him the okay, he's not going to simply just start playing again, right? I mean, he could, but it's. I, I would imagine that evaluation is going to determine that he's almost ready. But it, I'd be. Sh- I think they're only going to bring him back if they need him to keep the season going, right? But if they're winning the series, and he's just going to be out till uh, till the finals. And quickly before we lose uh, track of this, Jeff Van Gundy, I think before the game tonight talked about or maybe it was during the game talked about how rich Kleiman, katie's business associate or manager whatever his actual title is but his agent um who has been rumored to be wanting to get himself a front office gig with the knicks when kd comes there uh apparently rich Kleiman went up to jeff van gundy and started complaining about stuff about the knicks back in the 90s and i just loved how van gundy made sure to mention that while they were talking about KD <laughs> on the broadcast so yeah that was pretty funny Okay, well that's 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 that is very funny. Uh, we, here's a question we have in the in the comments. And by the way, ask questions if you have any in the uh, in the, the uh, Periscope. We are only doing Periscope tonight because I just released a video on YouTube. If you haven't seen it, you didn't realize I did it kind of. I did it during halftime of this game. Uh, I broke down game one of the um, Bucks and the whoever else the Bucks are playing. Thank you. The, the Raptors. Uh, the Raptors, thank you. And uh, it's really good. I think it's really good. It's got my new music, which like half the people seem to love and other people seem to hate and want the old music back. Don't worry, the old music will come back for the next one. Just figured I'd mix it up a little bit, you know, keep it fresh. But J.K. McKay asks, it doesn't appear that any Blazers are going to play D, no rotations, any action by Warriors equals a bucket. Well, there's no question that they really struggle with like pick and roll and, and pin downs. They, they kind of kept trying to double Clay or double uh, Curry and all they would do is do a quick pocket pass and that either led to the layup right away or the little lob to Looney. Um, it's a great play by the Warriors have proven and embarrassed everybody with, but they need to just communicate better, and, and I don't think they, should, they need to double that. They simply need to switch it straight up or either let the guy fight through, but they need to figure something out better and in a hurry. I didn't realize the Blazers really struggled that much with that kind of action of just either a guy coming off a pin down or, the, or just a pick and roll action, but man, it it's doesn't look good at all for them. Yeah, I like this uh, this person's observation because, for one, I like them trying to aggressively double and push Steph out of position. I mean, obviously, you're risking that he's going to slip it to Draymond, who can play make off of that or whatever they're going to do with it. Uh, but it at least takes Golden State out of their comfort zone, takes him out of his comfort zone. I mean, I know it. you don't want to let give up points, but I mean, the guy at 37 tonight, if you can find a way to take him out of his rhythm, that's I, I would rather do that and maybe even give up a couple layups just to get just to be able to cool him down. Uh, but they were making a great point about the rotation issues here. We were just talking right before we went on the air about on that final play where Draymond got the layup to win the game, how Dame and Seth Curry were on the weak side block next to each other dealing with. Kevon Looney was, Looney was in the dunker spot, and then was it Iggy was up on like the wing, or was kind of like rotating out from the dunker spot area too. Mm-hmm. Whoever it was, they were trying to communicate like, how are we going to manage the zone? And then right before the pick and roll starts on the other side, where Dame hasn't been watching and paying attention because he's busy figuring out the weak side there, uh, they start to run it, and then Dame looks over, 
has Seth Curry standing literally right in front of him who can hold down the weak side and Dame doesn't rotate over. And you were asking me, you know, what, well, what is Dame supposed to do there? It's like, one, you got to do something. You don't just give up the layup. It's the last play of the game. It wins the game. You got to, like, Dame's either got to foul him really hard, try to strip it, or he's got to, if he's really paying attention, he jumps out and he tries to take that charge. And even if Draymond steps around him, it's like at least he did something to try to solve the play. And we see that with, you know, I, we want to talk about Celtics bias. I just spent the last month, you know, writing uh, writing about how Kyrie keeps failing to do that over and over and over again. There's a lot of these great scoring guards who we, you know, praise just, you know, justly so for their ability to take over a game with their offense you do see how they get attacked at the end of games, how that can really hurt a team that buried Boston. And we saw how Portland paid the price for that tonight with Dame not paying attention. Yeah. Well, now the other thing that was weird about that whole sequence was that they had, they were very, very small, right? They had Myers Leonard as the big guy. Then they had Evan Turner. And then they had, I want to say uh, Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum and Seth Curry. And the, all those three guys were on the weak side. So you had Damian Lillard guarding uh, Looney, <laughs> which you know, it's just a weird position for him to be in anyway and for him to rotate over. So I don't necessarily blame him that, you know, whatever. But you're right. He steps over. He can take a charge or something maybe. Um, you know, you don't often see a guy like Kyrie or Dame or Steph, Steph even taking charges in that situation. It's a, it, that's a, you know, that's a scary proposition that you might be out for a while if you do that. But um, anyway, yeah. But a lot of times when I say that, when, when it's a guard like Dame, and Dame is not 6'3". I think they brought it up in the – or somebody was talking about it. Uh, you know, he's six one maybe, right? Um, a lot of times when it's that guard who has to rotate down on the roll man or whatever, it's like it doesn't matter. What are they going to do anyway? They lob it up. They'll just be looking up at the ball, and, and it'll just be dunked on them no matter what. They can foul. So I, it's a real interesting situation. I think we're going to have to figure out and really study. Um, I'm anxious to see if there's a way we could figure out a new version of guarding that kind of a play without having to have the, the guy you know tagging down from that weak side or something to stop that because – I just kind of feel like it's not that effective anyway. Uh, here's the thing I'm never going to understand is why I can't always see on my browser the questions and, and the Periscope and I can see them on my phone. But here's one we have on the phone that uh, Luis the, the Man asks, why would the Blazers not run at least a pick and roll or pin down the last play? Um, and by the way, does anyone know how I can keep the comments up before I have to keep tapping the phone and dragging to see it? Anyway, um, why don't you think that they did that versus just a straight ISO that drifted to the left wing against Ziggy with uh, Damian Lillard at the ball? Ask Paul George, I guess. Oh. I mean, there's not, not like a great answer, right? But it works. That's that's his thing. He, he does it well. Mm-hmm. So, well, you know, yeah, what, what yeah. the hell? I mean, also, you know, things could happen. You, you set a screen, they could they could trap him, and all of a sudden he has to give the ball up, and now you got Myers Leonard or whatever with the ball. Although they could easily set it with CJ, and then CJ gets the ball. I would like to see some more of that. I'm not sure they did that. Do you have anything in your mind's eye about CJ and um, Damian Lillard setting screens for ball screens for each other? I haven't seen it yet. I don't think so. I, I think, it must have happened at some point, but I, I don't remember seeing nothing it. Nothing in my mind's eye, and that would be a really viable thing. So uh, certainly uh, something they should get get to. I think there's another question here. Do you consider Seth to be the better defender? By the way, and that was from Latino by Nature. Uh, by the way, let's give some <laughs> let's give some props. And I know you have to go in a minute, right? But you're having so much fun, you don't want to leave. No, do another five minutes. All here, right. Go ahead. Uh, Seth Curry, man, like he's gonna uh, Steph Curry is gonna have nightmares tonight about his brother. I think he's gonna wake up in a cold sweat. His brother ripped him two or th- two times, three times. I don't know, but it was it was like cold, embarrassing for him. Yeah. So the question is, who's a better defender between the two? Yeah. I. I don't. I can't really think of a reason to pick one over the other right now. Can you? Right. I, 
I feel yeah, like they're yeah. both they're both good defend. They're both like pretty good for their position. Yeah. Um, so I think that you have to factor for that Steph for his role and the amount of work he has to do on offense. The fact that he's a, a defending at a, a I'd say above average level is really yeah. impressive. Yeah. Um, you know, like that's the reason why Dame isn't as good of a defender is because like he has his usage rate is so high, his activity rate is so high. It's hard to then continue to have that on the other end. Right. So the fact that Seth is a solid defender, I think, is a pretty impressive feat. Yeah. And you know, Seth Seth has really come into his own this year. Obviously, I mean, his three point percentage this year was incredible, but it was better than Steph's, right? Although obviously, mm-hmm. it's not the same scenario. But um, he, uh, I mean, he's good. I, I, the fact that. The fact that Stotts is comfortable having Seth out there defending on the final possession, I think, is a pretty good vote of confidence at the very least. Uh, yeah, I, and, and he was—he's just cold making plays. Now, Seth is that is that basketball gamer guy. He's just going to make plays. You, you leave him open, he's going to nail that three. Like he and he did a couple times like that, where it's just like backbreaking. You thought that was the chance that the Portland, the Trailer Blazers were going to get right back in the game and and get control of it. And then you know the steals. He had, the the one that I really meant though was he had a steal in the backcourt and for a layup that he blew. And that just would have been just awesome. Like, that would have really been, you know, give him the game ball, even if they lose. Um, so he's really, by the way, proving he's an NBA player. I think he, he really struggled in the beginning of his career that you no know, one, you know, he's Steph's brother. He's not good enough. But, you know, he's a viable player. He can really be that guy like, you know, like a Patty Bills kind of guy, right? Uh, who, sure, who can, yeah. You know, can really shoot and, and make plays. So I'm really happy for him on that end. Um, let's see. We have, uh, let's see, Kenny... I saw a good question. It's Kenny D asks, did the Warriors win that game or did the Blazers lose that game? Oh, that's easy. The Warriors won that game. I mean, they just, there's great offensive execution there. They're putting, you know, they're putting the uh, pressure points on Portland, trying to go small where they're taking advantage of them. Like we discussed with Dame not rotating over that kind of stuff. That was just the Warriors being a great team. I don't think I, the Blazers played a really good game. The Blazers would have beat any other team in the NBA if they were facing them tonight with the way that they played. They just happened to be facing the best team. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I certainly, I certainly think that the, in the first half, that was almost perfect basketball. Like, they couldn't have played it better, like I mentioned in the beginning of the show. You know what I mean? That was – everything they ran, everything they did on offense was perfect. Uh, they, were, they took advantage of a lot of really bad turnovers by the Warriors. Uh, and, and even though they were unforced, you know, they were in position. They weren't getting out of position, at least defensively. So that was really impressive. You can't do that for two halves against the Warriors. And, you know, they just about hung on there, right? They, they pretty much had a shot to tie it at the end. Uh, a couple plays here and there, and they get it. But, um, again, this how long is this series going to go? How long do you think? Five. But you think Five? It, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, think that, that feels I mean, right. Portland got so close tonight. I mean, yeah, they, they could they could squeeze a couple more out. Dame could get really hot at home. I mean, Dame hasn't had a good complete game. I feel like in what like a month now. What yeah. was what, what, what did the OKC series end? I mean, it's been too long since since he's had a really complete game. So I feel like Dame is due for one here in the conference finals. Right now, here's another question we can ask real answer real quick. The only Nets fan asks, "What do you think of the Dame CJ Curry hood lineup at the end of the game?" Um, Dame, CJ, Curry, Hood, uh, and then I think it was probably Myers Leonard. Uh, you know, again, what, the, the lineup I was looking for was with, the, uh, with Dame, CJ, Hood, um, Collins, and Harkless. And it didn't do well. They finally did it. And it just, they, didn't do, they didn't do that well with that, that setting. Harkless is just, you know, not, it's not his series either. So maybe they go crazy and go small. And, you know, I don't know. Can you get a, could you get away with, with Curry in that lineup alongside? Yeah. 
because the the thing is, I feel like Harkless in theory is a good matchup against Draymond, but the way that they're defending Draymond, they don't really need to match up necessarily on Draymond as long as it's someone that Draymond can't like you know short roll and just stampede over them. Yeah, which is obviously if you put Curry in there, that could be tricky. But Hood can be the guy that is able to handle it. I would do that just because you need to maximize shooting. Yeah, and Harkless isn't shooting well. Aminu's. Like they, they tested Aminu there. I can't remember if it was a third or fourth quarter where uh, Portland swung the ball out to him and he was like ready to swing the ball. And then he realized Golden State was not, they were just going to like turn their back to him. Yeah. And he had his chance and he just bricked it terribly. And well, it, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. The thing with Aminu, he had like nine points in the first four minutes, right? He had tip mm-hmm. in, he had a three, whatever. But like that just basically guarantees he's not going to score the rest of the game. Like he only has a very finite amount of points he's going to score. He's very limited as an offensive player, and so that's what's frustrating to me. Why like they should just start Hood anyway for for him, um, and so they they need to get to their better lineups quicker. Uh, the first half was all bets were off. Anything I would have suggested, like they didn't have to do it because they 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 just played so well and everyone contributed. But once you get into that situation where they scored like six in a row, I think how many did they score in a row? Do you remember in that third quarter? Oh, I can't remember. 14, but it fell, it, fell, it fell around 15. Yeah. I feel like it was like they got to 10, they called timeout, and they got to 15 or 16, they called another timeout. But, you know, once it's like 6 or 7, you got to sub. And by the way, he didn't sub after the first timeout. He left Canner in. He left Aminu. I was like, what are you doing, man? The timeout's not enough. You can't, what are you going to be able to say, say to them that's going to change it? you got to get a different lineup in there. That was another thing that they, they might ask him about. And um, although, based on how angry he was by asking him about drop coverage, I don't know if anyone's going to be willing to. <laughs> um, but, he did apologize to Slater for that. Oh, did he really? Although I don't know if Slater was actually there when he apologized. Okay. But. Well, by the way, I asked who asked that question because I only saw the answer. And I couldn't see who was asking it. Anthony it Slater. Was Slater, and it was a great question. And yeah. Friend of the breakdown. Just pissed off. So people yeah. who, who who were wondering when I asked on Twitter were like convinced that I wanted to thought it was a terrible question and how dare he ask that? And I'm like, no, it's the opposite. Nobody asks coaches that kind of stuff, and it was a great question. And um, I even had to make sure that uh, Anthony knew that just because I was afraid he was going <laughs> to see something and thought I was calling him out. No, great question. I wish we'd ask more of those to those coaches. I, I remember I once asked Pop a question after a finals game about switching and, uh, and you know, didn't go that well either. But uh, nonetheless, it's like those are the questions I want to hear. Um, let's see here. The, uh, they call me Ray Four tells me that Amino and Harkless scored 90% of their points in the first half. I mean, that makes sense, especially if they do score some points. You just know by law of averages, they're going to regress the mean and not score that many later. Um, let's see. SA to LA11 asks, uh, what was the hardest series for the dubs so far? Well, Rockets last yeah, year. That's pretty. Yeah. Oh, you mean in the old? I think I thought he meant this year, but yeah. But I guess Rockets oh. this year too, right? Yeah, I mean it's only been two two series so far, so yeah, there's right. so much of a sample size. Sure, they, actually, yeah. I I mean I'm not counting them losing to the Cavs because obviously they lost that one. But are there any other good candidates that I'm forgetting here? Oh, you mean throughout this last several years? Yeah, throughout the entire run. Wow. There's a maybe was there a Denver? No, they lost to Denver before their run. I, I don't. You know what? I'll have to go look through. But here's a good question. RBI two forty one asks: Should the Warriors start Looney over Bogut? Can I say yes any louder? Or is there is there any other? Question? Yeah, yeah. Looney, they shouldn't play Bogut really at all. Play him five minutes, I guess. Looney has been great. Looney's gonna get paid. Like he's he's become like the Bismack Biombo of this postseason. So right. hopefully nobody pays him twenty million a year, but he's good. He's proven to be a good NBA center. 
For sure, for sure. Um, if the Warriors, Luis the Man asks, if the Warriors win the title, uh, why would KD leave if he can make history if the four-peat happens? I just think he's ready. I think he wants his own I team. Don't, I don't think he cares about that. Uh, shout out to the commenters. The only Nets fan, <laughs> which is yeah. a great name. KD's Thunder. We forgot about that one. That's the 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 series where KD left, or where Draymond called KD and told him to leave. So, yeah, that's that would probably be the other one. I would, oh, yeah. I would still go with Houston last year because he was in last year beat the the super super team warriors or almost beat them yeah um and yeah they and i mean shit right. they, they almost beat them even without cp3 right so rockets last year and then right below that would be okc in 2016 for sure yeah they're like kind of neck and neck there really right yeah um, it's hard to remember how incredibly stacked that okc team was i mean it's there's so much incredible potential. It never quite got there. I think we're going to look back in history and think of that as like kind of like how we look at the 97, 98 Jazz, where like just the amount of talent right. that was on that on that team. Yeah, but I mean, it, but it was it was the finals team really that I thought was was really what they missed with Harden, and um, yeah. that was the one. And they they you know that that's the move they're going to go down in history is probably the worst move uh, franchise could make is trade him when they traded him. Um, who knows? Although it just sounded like it was a little bit toxic already, and maybe it wouldn't have worked. But. I said at the time they should have traded Westbrook instead of him, and Westbrook was yeah. already a star. So yeah, well, don't you hate it? Let's see, Robbie Rob Thirty asks, don't you hate it uh, how coaches get upset when reporters ask basketball questions? Um, I don't think that coaches generally get upset. I know I've asked questions that um, you know coaches answer relatively okay. Yeah, I've come across a few instances where a coach kind of like feels like you're trying too hard and will kind of laugh at you a little bit or like they'll do kind of like what Terry Stotts did. Mm-hmm. I've had that happen to me before. Um, I, I thought it was kind of ridiculous that people were making it a thing. Mm-hmm. Like it was, I mean, it was he was not nice and it was kind of embarrassing for Slater, even if Slater was fine with it. Like, you know, it's embarrassing when somebody, you know, chastises you on national television, but like he's these guys get upset with questions all the time. Like what he can, he wasn't even like mean about it. He was just like, you tell me, is that what we did? I'll go back and watch a film. Like he, yeah. he was just kind of being like dickish, but he wasn't even being, he wasn't being hostile or anything like that. It didn't, I mean, it doesn't even compare to like what, you know, some other coaches do and what guys like Westbrook do and all that kind of stuff. So I, I thought it was a complete nothing. And I, it, I actually was a little disappointed that Terry Sots apologized, not because Slater doesn't deserve an or Slater deserves to be treated well, but just that, like he shouldn't have to apologize for that. Okay. That coaches or really players or anything, if they want to be a little bit combative or just give a little bit of friction on a question, then they should be able to without having to apologize. And I'm saying that as as the reporter that's on the on the uh, on the receiving end of that. Right. Um, well, like that, yeah, that said, I mean, I think it just tells you that Terry Stotts is just is one of the nicest guys out there. You know, yeah, I, mean, I remember true. I remember in a pregame once I was covering uh, Sacramento and some uh, and Portland. And, um, you know, this was probably like his first year. He was just hanging out in the locker room when I was standing around with my camera. I'm like, hey, do you want to do an interview? And he was like, just gave me five minutes. It was really gracious. And it was all like detailed offensive questions. I can't remember what we talked about. But, you know, from that day on, it always struck me like, here's a guy who, you know, he's just a really nice guy. And so, of course, he's going to apologize, even if he didn't feel like, you know, uh, it was that serious or not. Like, he's that kind of guy. So he, he deserves a lot of props for that either way. Um, what do you say? Should we wrap it up with a couple, uh, one more question or two? Yeah, yeah. Someone's making fun of me for saying I had to go f- in five minutes and I, I have no idea how long it's been since then, but 
Oh, yeah. So it's hard for me to get off the air with you guys. Uh, absolutely. This is what happens to me all the time. Whenever I do my podcast with somebody, especially like they're, like they're big, they're always like, yeah, I got uh, I got 12 minutes or whatever. I'm like, okay. And next thing you know, it's like 24 and we're still going and they're having a good time. So I, I've started doing that nowadays just because my schedule's a lot tighter. It's mm-hmm. like I always tell people like, all right, I can do it, but I only got 10 minutes. And then half an hour later, I'm like, all right, let's keep going. Yeah. Well, you know, either way, it's getting a little bit late. I'm hungry. And uh, let's see here. Um... It's Kenny D. It's safe to say that the CJ CJ is weighed without the athleticism and defense. CJ is kind of a sneaky athletic uh, guy, <laughs> but there, I, there's no question Dwayne Wade is more athletic. Um, CJ's defense, that. That's great. you know, I, no, I, I don't see a, a real comparison to CJ and, and Dwayne Wade. Do you? But nothing. By the way, nothing really can, that seems like a, a similarity to me. I don't know. Mm, the way they they're, score, they're a little bit same. different style. I mean, Wade was more of a. He was yeah. more of a chest up kind of dribbler, um, but I think they both they both have good like kind of like double counter combos with mixing like you know crossover through the leg spin stuff like that. So they have a lot of that flavor to them. They're pretty like they're really good on the step backs from the uh, elbow. So I, I mean, there's some of that similarity. Um, but Wade was more of a power finisher. I think McCollum's more of a finesse finisher. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Wade just has that real like that kind of like special ability that some of the greats had where they can just like stand straight up with their chest straight out and their shoulders are like broad and they just kind of like have people bounce off of them and they just kind of like run tall and proud through the lane. And Wade just had that incredible ability where like his body was always just kind of creating separation. His footwork was so impeccable. And CJ is kind of more of like a, kind of like a New York style, kind of low crawling towards the ground kind of guy, kind of slipping through the nooks and crannies kind of player. So I think they're fairly different, but like the basic tenet of their game, I guess is fairly similar. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Eh, I don't see it. I, mean, I just feel like it's, it's you know. But then again, I have, to, I have to go back and watch Prime Wade. I can't even remember now what he was like back then. Actually, uh, Robbie Edwards is bigger Lou Will. I really like that. Uh, bigger Lou one. Will. Uh, okay. There, definitely I see a much similar, like, movement pattern and, and game is similar to yeah. Lou Will. Uh, I would say CJ is probably a better shooter than Lou. Well, Lou Will is pretty good three points. No, <laughs> come on. Not after that playoff series. Uh, no, but, you know, but CJ, you know, is, is just an elite shooter and sniper from back there. I want to, is Lou Will, is he, like, a, a, normally over 40% from three? I don't think so. I, I think, think yeah. I think it's because of his that. shot selection, too. He, he could be. If he he's could. a high-volume chucker, but yeah. he's one of the best – I yeah. guess of the era, but yeah. CJ is like you know he's he's lights out when he's getting it out behind the line. And he gets it gets a minute to see it. Um, okay, do we have any other questions here? I thought there was one more, but I don't see them. Like thoughts on the lottery? Oh God, we, you want to oh, do another geez. hour? Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know I just thought it was really nice of the uh, NBA to ease the the loss of uh, AD for them. Uh, you know it, it doesn't feel like it was. It feels like it was rigged, doesn't it? No, oh God, why do people say this every year? I mean. If it definitely wasn't Memphis winning the lottery, that's for sure. It was a little bit more riggy feeling than that. But uh, I don't think AD leaving is a foregone conclusion at this point anymore. I don't think oh. how how can it be? Even though I know Shams reported this doesn't change anything. But give Griff time, give Zion time. Not to mention he can trade the Zion pick for something else. I don't know what. I mean, you could offer Zion for LeBron. If I'm Griff, I feel like I'd rather just let. I'd rather get rid of AD than bring LeBron back, even though Griff loves LeBron and all that. It's just that LeBron at his age and yeah, after, it's not worth it. and after the last season, it's like, you just, you can't, you can't, you don't want to bring LeBron in anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I would rather, I'd rather take the risk that Zion is only a borderline all-star. 
even though I think yeah. he's probably going to be an MVP. Yeah, to quote to quote Nancy Pelosi, it's not worth it. Um, okay, Portland might have missed their chance. So I, I tweeted out with uh, three and a half minutes to go, uh, Portland was up by five, and I said they might have missed their chance with this sequence, which was uh, a short uh, roll by Myers Leonard to the basket, and then Siege, uh, Dame hits him, and then he instead of shooting at the basket, he, he the audacity to kick it out to a wide-open CJ, which was just like the Rodney Hood three in the last series. CJ misses it, and then they come right back down again, the floor, in a hurry, and um, get a shot here. I'm looking at the play because I'm reminding myself of what the shot was. But the Warriors come back and get like a dunk, and that was it. And I said then that that was their shot to win the game, and it pretty much was, was right on, on, on target there. Um, really too bad because that's how a make-or-miss league. You, you make that three, and you go up by nine uh, or eight, and, that, and then that really gives them some cushion. So... Anyway, speaking of cushion, uh, it was great being with you here tonight, Jared. Thank you for staying up late with us and giving us all this great insight into the game. What a great segue. Are you hitting the hay now? Is that why? Uh, I don't know. Don't ask me why. Whenever I do speaking of blank, it, it's, it's always a nine-second. Um, <laughs> all right, let's wrap this up. Uh, right. Saturday, we're thinking maybe. If not um, Saturday, probably Sunday yeah, for the next live show. because I'm not around Friday. I'm going to miss the game too. I'm going to have to come to it late, but yes. Um, so Saturday, let's shoot for that, and then we'll see what Sunday, whatever the rest of those days look like for sure, because we're having a great time. There was a lot of people here tonight, so thank you all for joining us. Uh, this is definitely a high point of our, uh, of our post-game shows. So great stuff. If you you any- know what, actually? Yeah. Just because we have a big audience right now, this is a weird one, but I'm going to Japan next week, and I'm going to be working on the story while I'm out there. If there's any big NBA fans in Tokyo that are English speakers, because I don't speak Japanese, um, it, that would be interested in meeting up or uh, attending a watch party to go watch game one of the finals. Hit me up. Just My DMs are open. Jared Weiss, NBA. Uh, I'm going to write a story about just what it's like being an NBA fan in Japan, so I'd love to hear from you. Wow, that sounds like a great trip. Anxious to hear from you, and hopefully we can do a live show while you're there during the finals. I'm, I'm definitely going to try to make it happen. And the games, they all start kind of like at like 9 a.m. or 10 a.m., I think, local time. So mm-hmm. it actually should be really feasible for me to kind of like – you know, go out late the night before, sleep in a little, watch the game when I wake up, do the live show, and start my day. So hopefully right. I'll be able to do a live show almost every single day. Okay, that sounds great because that's where we're moving towards uh, sports fans. I want to try doing these live shows every every game because there's so much to talk about. So don't forget, check out my video uh, that I just dropped about the game one of the uh, Bucks and the Raptors. It's really good. And um, what else can we talk about? Jared, anything else you want to th- throw out there real quick? No, <laughs> I'm okay. going. I got to get back to work now. I'm, my five minutes are finally up. All right, great. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us, everybody out there. We'll be back again really soon. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel. We're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Jared? I'm in writing mode.